0: What's up, all you beautiful people? Happy Thursday. Man, January's already almost over. That was quick. Um, how y'all doing? How y'all holding in, holding out? Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to jump right ahead into talking about my guest. Um, my guest today is an amazing artist and musician, wanted to have him on here for a while and i'm glad we finally got to it because he's a blast to talk to his name is graham patsner and he is singer frontman for the band Whiskerman, which is like a um bay area psychedelic rock classic rock folk uh mishmash of dopeness um first saw whiskerman whiskerman out in bolinas a couple years ago my brother took me out to see him and it was like it just hit me right in my like zeppelin floyd spot it it really they really captured uh that that the genre and yet it still also feels like contemporary music and it's very like fresh um but it definitely definitely uh Soothed all my classic rock needs and uh and I was an instant fan and um yeah over the over the interviewing years, I've just gotten to know Graham a little better hanging out at parties and having some dope conversations so getting him actually here on the podcast is something I'm really excited about and uh and we had a great time talking. This was a very me- meandering conversation. there's a lot of little twists and turns we definitely talk about his uh, his you know story as a musician how he kind of developed and grew into it um, how the band started uh, and you know also just some philosophical takes about about uh, about how things are going and what what we think the East Bay really needs uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it I had a blast um, I think that's about it oh yeah Uh, Graham was kind enough and generous enough to let us uh, attach one of Whiskerman's songs at the end of this episode. So all you audio-only folk, you know I love you. Uh, This is not on the YouTube version that we put out. Um, There will be a Whiskerman track at the end of this if you guys want to keep listening past the end of the episode. Um, This is off there most recent album kingdom illusion and the name of the song is villains it's my favorite song off the album i uh i was listening to the album getting ready to do this episode and that one just got me super fired up so remember laughter uh let your hair down make some make some uh, rocker hands and uh give it up uh for mr graham patzner on this episode 46 of the bartcast Great to hear from you. What a surprise. weed game like it allowed me to live like a non nine to five life yeah for better part of a decade and i'm grateful for that and like i didn't mind the work and i made you know i was probably making like on average between four and six hundred bucks a day yeah
1: that's pretty fucking yeah like (laughs) hanging
0: with my homies but like how are you gonna go get a job at trader joe's for 12 an hour after you're like used to doing that yeah like the funny money like kind of messes with that's what me and my brother call it like the funny money because it like messes with your yeah like what you're willing to tolerate i guess
1: well i feel that way with music sometimes too yeah because it's like you can make you do a session you get paid like some session some sessions you get paid like hundred dollars an hour in a studio and then like other sessions they're like okay come and do this song for a 100 bucks and you're like i'm not like it's barely (laughs) even worth like it's barely worth like somebody asked me to do a song for them for 50 bucks and i was like well that might get me to like open my violin case like turn on the computer and you know that
0: those are always the ones too where it's like like the communication's shitty and then like you get there and they don't have shit set up yeah. and then you're like trying to, it ends up being like a 12 hour session or something. Yeah. You know? like yeah not it's ready just to, ridiculous. it's The same thing with, with videography as well. Like some like like projects pay really well but. when
1: they're, when they're, yeah, when they're paying, uh, when they're paying less, it's like they don't have their shit together kind yeah. of more.
0: Yeah. There's this funny thing. This guy I worked with, who's a little more established than I am, but he was saying like, there's like this ratio that it's like, uh, it's like 80% of your clients pay you 20% of your income. And then the other 20% of your clients pay you 80% of your income. Mm. And
2: it's yeah, those 80% true.
0: of the clients that are like way harder to work with. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think that's it's part of any, true. it's like part of any artist is like being an artist is like figuring out how to communicate your boundaries and and how to like communicate how you value your time and your work. Yeah. So that people who actually can't afford it can justify it to themselves. Right. You know. With-
1: yeah. It's a huge part. But sometimes I shoot myself in the foot if I say too much, if I if I charge too much, mm-hmm. and then they're like, okay, well we're just gonna get somebody else, right. yeah. and then you're like, well I'd I still do it. Like you got to think <laughs> about like how much you do it for. Totally. But like you know, I'll ask. Like there was one gig of they wanted me to do solo, and I was like, I'll I'll charge a thousand bucks because mm-hmm. I've gotten that before, or I've gotten even more, like fifteen hundred or something, and then they just they didn't respond for a bit, and I was like, hey just wondering if what you thought about it, I'm down to adjust if you don't think it's good. And they're like, ah, oh, we found somebody for a, for a lower rate. Right. And I'm like, oh,
0: like, yeah, you know, I, yeah.
1: literally half of that money yeah. would have been fine.
0: Totally. No, I mean, I think we, people don't appreciate the haggle. Cause I've had the same thing where I'm like, look, I'm going to open a little high. Yeah. Some people are going to say yes right away, but the intent, like the idea is that you're going to counter. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to start it. You know, if I want to make, 800 bucks for a project or a grand for a project. Yeah. I'm maybe going to quote you at 15. Totally. With the idea that you're going to come back at me because you want to work with me. Right. And, but yeah, when you're starting out or when you're like still working out, like how to suss people out, I feel like I've certainly lost work because I overbid. Totally. That's like a good lesson, but it's also like, like we were saying, like, dude, low ballers don't appreciate, like they don't value the work. Like people that pay more generally, they're like really going to value your time and what you're doing because they're paying this money for it.
1: You know? I know it's an interesting thing. It's like it, the value for for everybody goes way up because they're going to get great work. Yeah. But they're also demanding great work because they, because
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're putting down all the cash on right. it. And so they're like, all right, this needs to be actually really, really good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think that's also like the, You know, speaking as someone that like I came from, you know, from a family that was right on the poverty line, like, yeah, I never feel justified in asking for what my work is actually worth. Like it doesn't, it feels like I'm asking for too much, Mm -hmm. like where my like money sense is calibrated to often is below what the market is actually asking for. And so like you just said, like, yeah, I'll be like, you know, oh, they're going to expect it to be maybe more than I can deliver on or whatever. But I think that, like, when you value your work, it's also, in some ways, it kind of, like, elevates it. Mm -hmm. Like, by saying I value it at this amount, it's like, you might do the same thing. Like, the way I like to think about it is, like, what's the price, like, that I would be really happy to work for? Right. Like, what's going to make me actually take this, like, super seriously and be, like, stoked on doing my best work yeah and that's that number it's like taken a while to get to and and like you said there's a lot of people that you meet and you're like dude i do this for cheaper because i want to work with you or this sounds like a cool project right but if you pay me this rate then i also get to feel super good about it yeah you know
1: yeah and it's hard because it's hard a lot of times you want to work with somebody who's an artist and is just in the same position as you and like there are but if, if they're in the, if they have the means to pay for it, like you should, you know, they should, Yeah. but if they don't, it's like, you kind of want to adjust. So I've like, I've come, I've, I've come full circle on all of it. You know, it's like getting into the kind of scarcity mindset,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like back in the day thinking like, you know, oh, I just need to make the money because mm-hmm. that's all I, I need it. I need it now. And like, I'm not going to get it some other way, but, uh, Honestly, I think at this point it's it's better to just be in the mindset that there is abundance like all the time, and like ask for what you need and what you want. And sometimes you're just not going to get it because totally. somebody's not going to be on the same wavelength, or the you know just don't, it's not in their budget.
0: Yeah, and I I think like the sliding scale approach too. It's like you might get work that's less inspiring but pays well, and then you can use that to subsidize passion projects or like you were saying, if you're working with other artists who you're inspired by, but maybe have limited means, Yeah, you know, like there are those projects that are just, you're going to volunteer your time and your energy for, cause you believe in the project and it's also can be like a great opportunity to do more of what you love.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, like Totally.
0: We, uh, we all need to build out our networks and, and yeah. And, and make shit with people like that's, I just think that's also just a win.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. But I think like working for free can be kind of tough. I mean, just because it's just so much time mm-hmm. that you put into something. Making like a record with somebody. Yeah. It's just a lot of work that goes yeah. into that. So like just doing it for free. It's right. not really has your, possible at this point in my life, at
0: least. Has your uh, like perspective on what that means changed a lot since you started recording music? You're just coming out of like finishing a record, right?
1: Yeah, uh, are you guys
0: still in the middle of the process?
1: Well, Whisker Man is working on a record. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, somehow all of us are doing that for free. Basically, everybody in the band does yeah. it for free. I mean, we get we make money from shows sometimes, mm-hmm. but like the actual record making, and it t- it takes a lot of work to do it. Um. At least for me, it does. I mean, I think like drums and bass, they come in and they, they knock it out in mm. a couple of days and yeah. then that's it, you yeah. know? Uh, but for me, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on these things and like do a bunch of overdubs and we started working on it like right before the pandemic hit. And, uh, but I guess your question was like my perspective changed about.
0: Like, what does it mean in your mind now? Like versus like, I, I, how long have you guys been together as a band?
1: We've been together for like 11 years or 12 years or so. I mean, uh, different drummer and we got the guitar player like a few years after starting. Um, and then also Jeremy Lyon, Mm -hmm. we added him kind of later on and we've had other people kind of come in and out. Trevor Bonson was with us for a while. He still plays with us sometimes. So now it's kind of become more of like a rotating cast of characters. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, since we started, I think like, you know, our first record was done with Greg Ashley at, uh, this place, um, oh God, uh, what ghost town, ghost town. Um, it was like this warehouse in Oakland, super dingy, like, you know, it's like recording in a dungeon, but it was fucking rad. And he had, a. we did it all onto one inch tape.
3: Awesome. So
1: he was like a total analog dude, um, I think the only element that wasn't analog was when he mastered it on some old program that he had on his like <laughs> nice. super old computer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Would work on, on that one. So that one's like, I mean, all of that was done analog. So, and you know, we did another record after that, that was analog as well, but also had some elements of digital cause we did a tiny telephone, but then we bounced it down to pro tools and, um, that took a lot of work too. Mm. I mean, I think at this point, like the reason I'm halting on the newest record right now is because of like lack of funds to finish it up. Cause I want to finish it. I think like in terms of where my mind has gone in the progression of the band is like, I, I want to go full out, like put as much effort and time into it as possible to make it the best thing that it could possibly be. And then work with like the best people mm-hmm. that I know to make it sound the best that I, it could possibly be. Yeah. And like, you know, it, 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 it takes some time to like find those people. And we found a lot of people that are local that, that Ian Polici over at new improved. I don't know if you've ever worked with him or know him or.
0: I don't think so. Don't
1: he's think so. super rad. Nice. Uh, we've been working we're working with him for years.
0: Is he an engineer or not? He, he's yeah, an he's
1: an engineer. Cool. But he he plays some guitar, I think. But he's mostly an engineer. Um, he just gets amazing tones. He was working at Tiny Telephone for a long time. So he, and he's just like gathered a bunch of gear over the years, and then he took over New Improved. Um, you know, they were doing analog completely at Tiny Telephone, and now he doesn't really do analog as much is he just feels that like it can be a hindrance
0: to the yeah. process in some ways. It's, um, it's funny though. Like the, just how much those limiting factors can influence and like can, can create like, um, a level of innovation and a level of inspiration. Like mm-hmm. one of the things I think, you know, digital, the, the the advent of digital technology gives us unlimited options of what we can do. Yeah sometimes unlimited options can be a little paralyzing totally. when you're trying to create. So you think you hear all these stories of some of our favorite, like just classic albums or even films or whatever. And it's actually the story of overcoming some sort of limitation. Maybe there was something going on in studio or totally. something going on with one of the members or, you know, that that forced people to think creatively about how they were going to approach yeah, the making of the art. then that ends up creating some some beautifully unexpected innovation
1: yeah i love the limitation of of working analog and tape like yeah and like mixing that way actually is really cool too Mm. so that's like what your brother's about to do he's about Mm -hmm. to be mixing like analog like that i think that's i mean you can bring it into pro tools pro Mm -hmm. tools you can do literally anything but then if you're when you're mixing with the faders and then you're like throwing the effects through the faders and doing all that it's like It's really fun.
0: Yeah. I think he's really enamored by, you know, he's, he's had his little, like, uh, you know, home studio pro tools rig for a while, but from what he's told me, like getting into the workflow of just turning knobs and dealing with an analog signal. And it's like kind of like a hot rod, you know, and you're kind of like always working on it, always tweaking it. But I think for him getting out of menu screens and out of that endless options and having to like totally record something into eight tracks and then, you know, that changes obviously what you're going to be able to do and how you're going to be able to do it. I think he's excited about that.
1: Yeah. For me, I've I've just like, I started off doing garage band and then I started going into logic and, and like now I've, Had so many years under my belt. It's not like I'm an amazing engineer on logic and Mm -hmm. I just don't really have that kind of a mind in general being an engineer. I'm sort of like more of an intuitive sort of renegade, like mixer or anything, you know, it's like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just hearing it and Mm -hmm. hearing what sounds good, you know, intuitive process, a kind of intuitive process. Like I'm not, I'm not somebody who can really explain the ins and outs of what's happening, you know? Um, which probably lends itself more for, for analog. But if you treat like logic or something mm-hmm. like an analog equipment and not do too much crazy shit with it, you know, then totally. it, it, it works out. It's,
0: it's a great program. Like I, I mean this, I've done this whole podcast on GarageBand, and just because like it was easy to do, you yeah. know, and like the, I really don't need to do too much with it as far as like plugins or anything like that. But I know my brother's no. also very enamored by lo- the Logic, you know, Logic's approach relative to Pro Tools, and um, it is nice to even, you know, I also, you know, one of the things I've also seen bands do who want kind of the best of both worlds is maybe you record into into Logic or into, like, a DAW, but at some stage in the process, you, like, print it to tape yeah. just to put that tape fuzz on it or that warmth or kind of run it through that filter
1: yeah you kind of like bounce everything down onto or you know the final mix print it down to like a a half inch Mm -hmm. that's that's a like very common thing to do
0: give it that flavor so you you grew up here in oakland right yeah what uh what was your take me through like your how did the graham patzner music journey start like is that it's part of your family yeah yeah it's
1: totally part of you know I, i grew up in a music musical family my parents are musicians like my dad plays um, bass trombone and he taught it at, at a high school, taught music at a high school up at CPS. And then uh, my mom is a violin player and she she played uh, in the symphonies, some symphonies, some the SF ballet a lot. She was doing the Nutcracker all the time. She also is a really busy teacher and she still teaches. She, she, I mean, she was telling me the other day, she's like, Oh, I can't come on Sunday because I got, you know, she's teaching from like one to six or something on a Sunday. And I'm like, why are you, doing, why are you still doing this? Like, you know, she's in the, the, you know, the, the end of her, you know, professional life basically. And, but she's just still going, which is great. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like you would slow down doing mm-hmm. music at all. I don't really have the teaching bug as much but um she loves it. So uh that was really helpful growing up because she teaches violin so I started I started learning violin. I had a teacher. I've had teachers my whole life doing it. Keep going. I'm just uh, that's all good. I want to do a little mic adjustment here. Yeah. Just to get you it's kind of blocking. Your face, yeah. So. Yeah, I've had um I've had teacher, I had violin teachers, but then also my mom would help me practice. So I'd like practice with her every night, which is kind of insane when you think about it, like how much work, I mean,
0: did you feel pressured?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's just insane. Like how much that she dedicated to that, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I have a son now and it's just like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to like be consistent and present to their practice of right. the instrument, you know? Yeah. So, but, you know, and it's super important for kids. It's super helpful for kids to be learning music at a young age too. It's like so good for the development and brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I started on piano, then I went to violin, then I did trumpet for a little while. I was pretty into trumpet. And then uh, I kind of like during high school, I kind of stopped being as into, I was still playing trumpet in a ska band. Nice. I was playing drumming in a ska band, played around here. I think that was when I really fell in love with, like, rock and roll and, like, playing at clubs. Mm-hmm. There used to be an all-ages club, iMusicast, down on uh, Telegraph. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Uh, it was, like, down, you know, where uh, The Well is on Telegraph? Mm-hmm. No? And there's Skyline Studios there. Do you know Skyline oh. Studios?
0: Was that, is that, like, where Leo's used to be? Yeah. Was that that same building? I no, heard. so
1: Leo's Leo's took over. So Leo's is a club that took over uh, Leo's Pro Audio.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that – so that changed. But it was like across that little parking lot. There's a spot called iMusicast. Okay. And it was run by Brian Matheson who is at Skyline Studios, which is like right – he's still there. Okay. Um, and it was like an – it was an all-ages venue, which like – don't really it doesn't really exist anymore around here we don't have any all ages venues maybe the gilman is the only one i don't yeah. know if that it's the gilman even still going
0: i don't even know what that i've never even heard of that the
1: gilman is like a punk venue it's like a okay. legendary punk venue in 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 like albany or berkeley or is ashkenazi off, off, off all gilman, ages gilman street ashkenazi Ashkenaz, i think Ashkenaz, i mean yeah ashkenazi ashkenazi is i think
3: okay
1: i could be wrong about that i think it might it might not be
0: I don't know. I've I've actually never been there. I've lived here 8 years and I don't think I've ever been there. You've never been to Ashkenaz? Never been to Ashkenaz. Oh,
1: uh, dude. If you haven't been to if you've got to go to <laughs> like a like a pure like fire reggae show. Yeah, that's at what I, Yeah,
0: that would be the that would be the one. Like
1: okay. I saw um uh, Israel Vibration there. Oh, tight. They were sick that's and the <laughs> the scene was so dope.
0: So many dreadies, I'm sure. Dude,
1: it was yeah, it's It's the best. It's honestly, it's like, it's top. A
0: lot of red lions.
1: (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah, 100%. And you like reggae, I mean, right? Yeah, I
0: love reggae, man.
1: And seeing reggae live is always great.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It makes me think we... uh, Me and my brother, you know, when we were in our mid-20s, we had this live hip-hop, like, funk project called The Optimistics. And... Our first drummer was this guy uh named Jeremy Gray, and uh he was like a you know redhead got really into reggae music now he's like a really dope reggae producer nice and uh and a really talented drummer, like you know like he knows the genre really well uh-huh and and he goes by red Lion, that's what we all called him and like uh <laughs> so we just have this dream of like him and Jeremy Lyons working together. In like a red lion, like reggae project, you know, you know, you like hear your different friends and you're like, you want to like play matchmaker and be like, take yeah. some of that and add some of that. And you know, like, that's awesome. Like a king, a king lion dream or something like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: That, that would be amazing. Do you play, do you, do you and your brother, um, play a lot together or
0: we've, like... yeah, we've been doing like the backyard boogies we've, which you've come to, that's like yeah. kind of been this this project that for the last started during the pandemic, it's, it's like very unofficial even to call it a project feels like over formalizing it. But like, you know, me and my brother, like we're brothers. So obviously we have all the, like, you know, whatever sort of brother issues to work through when we play music, but we spend Uh, a lot of time getting past the egos and all that. Um, I I mean, I have two brothers, right? Yes. Same. You get it. Same. Some things are way easier. Some things are way harder. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, playing keyboard for about five years and we had that band. We played like all around the Bay and it was fun, but like, Piano was just always like a painful instrument for me. Like, I took lessons when I was like 11 and I got the basics. My mom's a music teacher, also. Like, we have a musical family, but I always just felt way behind. Like, I never was good enough. Never was like, you know, it started too late. I felt like I didn't have the technical abilities to, to play the kind of music I wanted to play. Yeah. I really wanted to play organ. Um, and you know and and like i kind of learned on stage like i got asked to join this band and i was like i had my little thing i could do but like it wasn't i was not like a kind of classically trained uh player at all so like you know we we were kind of like a when we first started it was like a reggae band that was playing hip-hop behind this mc and then I eventually, like, brought on some friends. I brought in my brother and, like, our songwriting. My my brother's such a talented songwriter that our songs started to get, you know, a little more uh, mm-hmm. structured, and he was coming out of jazz school, so he had, like, you know, these ideas. Um, but I always kind of just felt, like, a little bit out of my element with the keys. And then probably, like, five or six years ago, uh, I don't know if you ever heard about it, but but Beau from the honey drops used to have these like river parties mm-hmm. up on the Yuba. Oh yeah. And so I started going to those and really just was getting into like being an MC and singing and mm-hmm. freestyling. And I was like, so it was such like a big kind of moment. Cause I was just getting like becoming a huge fan of the honey drops. Uh-huh. And here I am getting to like play with Lorenzo and Bo and, um, And I started playing bass, you know, because it's just like this open jam scene. And bass was my first instrument. I, I first picked it up in seventh grade. And I just started having so much fun on it. Yeah. And, like, I felt like my brain just knew what to do. Like, when I would try to play keys, I never knew, like, what to do. Like, how to comp. It's always, like, kind of trying to, like, over like intellectualize what playing me meant. Like I always felt like there was like a right way and I couldn't yeah. really figure out what like my way was. Yeah. And when I picked up the bass, it was like, Oh, I know what to do right now. Uh-huh. Like I know what to play here. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing something and I can just not worry about whether it's like in fashion to play that lick or whether it's corny or, you know, I can just like trust my ear and trust what's in my heart. And um, and I, so we started having these, these jams at that, at that river party and they were like, of like just the fattest, you know, like starting the jam and there's nobody in the room. Yeah. And suddenly you have like 40 people that yeah. you like pied pipered into the, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Like, and getting that feeling was so good. It got me super excited. Yeah. Um, so this is a like, you know, super long story for a short question, but this last over the last couple years like me and my brother going to all these different jams in the east bay we felt like there was always this dynamic of like either it was like super loose and just drunk people screaming into the mic and like not very fun or it was like super uptight and competitive and like there's three guitar players tapping their feet waiting for their turn to get a song (laughs) and it's like this kind of like stuffy jazz bro vibe yeah we were like we want to like make a space where it's like still a high level of like output like the quality of the music is good yeah but it's not like a hierarchy right and like the girl that likes to sing but like has never done it on stage can come up and like have a sick band give her a chant you know like she'll get an opportunity to like experience what you know being in that party vibe and having like some really dope music to sing totally. over or yeah. you know you know enter in any musician to that into yeah. that thing so that's kind of like playing wise i feel like you know and again i'm no like jocko you know prod, prodigy bass guy but i like know what i like and i can yeah, you got a play great my part feel too
1: Thanks, and man. like you and your brother together are sick too yeah we, it's it's cool cool vibe you guys bring. I mean, when we were jamming at that party, it was super
0: fun. fun, It was
1: super fun. I had an amazing time.
0: Yeah. And that's what I like about playing with you too, is like, I feel like you are one of those players that, you know, every now and then you come across them like people where like, you're very talented and you know how to write the music that you love and that you hear. But I also feel like you're the type of person I can go into a jam with. And like, there's not really a wrong... Yeah. Direction, Like yeah. if I get weird, I have a feeling like you're going to be down to explore that. You yeah. Know? Like yeah, for sure. We can yeah. go in whatever direction. Yeah. It takes. I mean,
1: I think yeah. the more freedom that you can have is, is, is the best, right. Yeah. For jams. Um, I kind of love the Bay actually it seems actually, you know, after, after the pandemic, it kind of seems like people are just so much more hungry for, for music. And, and, uh, there's this culture around jamming. That's like really <clears throat> kind of, getting really cool these days there's a lot going on and there's a lot of different styles of music happening and um part of one one thing i'm really thinking about is like just doing more recording and doing like really highlighting what's happening around here and Mm. and get people to like create more content rather than you know just going and doing the jam and then that's it right sometimes recording the jams you know Mm -hmm. just getting together and like I mean, I feel like when we were jamming at that one thing, there was like a there was like an album's worth of songs yeah, that probably totally came up, be. you know. And like,
0: I would have listened to that shit after the fact,
1: <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's kind of with my new spot. I want to do that. i want Hell to be yeah. doing more of that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah.
0: it's it's fun. Like, I feel like one of the things we've been doing in these spaces that is like some of my favorite type of music to play like you know a lot of them are like really like kind of simple one or two chord jams and me and tony we have been doing like we call them lessons he's been like giving me lessons but we also in that space you know we'll like write we've been trying to write these like grooves that are simple enough to pick up so you know it's not like six chord changes with a pre-chorus and a you know yeah something that you can start up on stage with people for sure and people are going to be able to pick it up but it's like a little bit more like the song does still kind of go somewhere it's like that balance so you're not just hanging on one one chord the whole time and uh but but there's like this intention and lorenzo is a player that i i feel like he can lock in with this with us on this and it gets really fun where we almost will like start a groove and just sit in it for like five minutes, yeah, <laughs> and like you some people you start to see they get a little like antsy, like okay, we what are we doing here?" But it's almost like we stick, we stay in the pocket, and it eventually like just gets to that sweet zone, where suddenly, like whatever little changes you're making intuitively, it suddenly is like, "Oh shit, this is the shit, you're totally. like playing the same notes, but they suddenly like mean something different, it's almost like yeah." A yeah. warming up process or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever experienced. Oh, absolutely. Like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. We have Lorenzo all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: That dude's got the like musical stamina of no one I've ever met.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he just lives and breathes it like yeah. all all day, all night. It's just he never stops. Yeah, it's it, great. It's really know. inspiring. It's yeah. always great to hang out with him and be in that space because he's also. He just wants he just wants the jam to go. You know he wants music. He wants music to be around and people to be having fun. And yeah, he just brings joy to the whole thing. And yeah, he's fucking good at it. Yeah, all those guys are great at it.
0: It's, it's always amazes me how much those boys can like play a three hour show and then go right to the after party and play another four yeah. hours. And like <laughs> yeah. maybe they won't even like double a song. You know, those guys know so many songs. It's crazy. yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's fun. I think they enjoy, you know, the Honey Drops guys, like, enjoy the space too because they can come in and it's not, like, they're... They don't have to be, like, representing, like, the, it's not like a Honey Drops show. Right. It's, like, Lesh can come and he doesn't have to, like, feel responsible for carrying. He right. Can, he can come up and play, <clears throat> come out. He doesn't have to, like, be, you know, like, there's almost, like, a stewardship in, like, carrying the jam totally if you're going to be in like a leadership position with it or whatever and so you know trying to kind of create that like democratization of the groove yeah uh and still like you know i still look to my brother to like like i love giving tony the space to kind of be this like benevolent dictator sometimes of like making calls you know but he does it in a way that's like very gentle and Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's still, it still helps to have someone who's like, well, I got this little thing, you know, and then everyone can kind of build around it. Totally. You know, um, when did, what age were you, like, how did Whiskerman come about?
1: Whiskerman came about, um, I was just doing, so like, I went to acting school for college. Really? Yeah. So in, in like in high school, I started getting really into theater. Okay. And uh, I've always really loved movies and film. You know, I've always loved loved that. And I just started getting really into theater. We had a really good theater program at my school. Where'd you go? Bishop O'Dowd in in Oakland. Mm-hmm. It was a really good theater program. The plays, like we did, some really amazing plays, um, like the Laramie Project. I don't know if you know what that we is. We did that in my high school. Yeah, too. and we got like protested by uh, Fred Phelps, who was like, um part of the Westboro Baptist church.
0: Oh shit. And really? They came
1: around. Yeah. They went around the country, like protesting like Catholic schools that were doing, or I, maybe it was any schools that were doing that, that play. And, uh, and so that like kind of brought this like weight to like how powerful theater can be and how, yeah, keep
0: theater. going. I'm, I'm listening. I just, check,
1: check this. Okay, we're still doing that. Oh yeah. There's you just can't session. really see it. Huh? Um, right. So, so yeah, I started getting really into it and then we did, um, uh, I went to, I went to school in New Jersey for acting and I did like two years. Ago, so super intense acting conservatory. Wow. Yeah. It was like way, it was way too intense for somebody <laughs> coming straight out of high school. Like right. I can't believe I did it.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, it was, it was just grueling. Like the second year, I mean, I would go to school from like 8am until like midnight, just like back-to-back classes, all this shit. It's like, why? Like, this isn't really... Is this really how real life is? Like, you're trying to model how life is for for people Mm -hmm. in the acting world? It's like, no, it's not. (laughs) You're going to go to, like, one audition a week or something, and then the rest of the time maybe you're going to be waiting tables or, like, you know, figuring out how you're making money, but you're not going to be, like, grinding, like, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. So it's like... It was just crazy, so I dropped out of school.
0: Was it more of, like, a a theater program or like were you doing actual screen acting? yeah as well, uh,
1: it, it was mostly theater i mean it started off doing this technique the meisner technique which is like a it's a it's a uh, it's method acting basically but it's like there's a whole there's a whole like um there's a whole form to the whole thing it's really like a pretty pretty deep method hmm.
0: of did doing you, things did you uh do you have any stories about like getting into a method character did you do any of that of... I mean
1: th- the thing about it was that like we didn't uh and this was kind of you know it's kind of kind of sad like we didn't do really any plays like for the mm. first 2 years their whole the whole philosophy of the meisner technique was that you like break down your your personality you break down your identity into like something that's sort of moldable mm. so that you can figure out who you are kind of and then you know and let go of these these things that we do to sort of, uh, they're sort of like hide us from our vulnerability, basically. Um, defenses so yeah, and... defenses, different mechanisms that we use, behaviors that we have.
0: It's like a psychological rewiring. Yeah,
1: so like. it's like a psychological rewiring. That's that's sort of the point, and that's sort of like when you're in these in the space of like doing the technique, you're like you're, you're breaking down barriers within yourself and like connecting to what is the moment is always, you know, like what is the truthful, authentic moment. And so,
0: was there a lot of traumatized people in your, in your cohort? <laughs> I feel like I could see that attracting like, you know, some people that maybe that's their like healing or their medicine is to go do something. Like yeah.
1: That. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people got, I saw, I mean, you know, people in my, in my class that, that would just like, Reveal really deep things about their lives and traumas from their lives. It was like therapy. Um, and I think for me, it sort of like was a, it was the beginning of sort of a spiritual um, healing path. Because um, we do a lot of yoga and did a lot of breath work stuff, movement exercises, and all these things. And then just the actual technique was like really like psychoanal- psychoanalysis. So, i since that i've definitely i've i started like on a more spiritual path um from from there cool um well, but i and I think that that was sort of the purpose of me going to it. It wasn't necessarily to like be even though I love acting and I would do more acting um i felt i- i started to get really turned off by like just the whole industry and mm. the way that they were kind of grooming things and grooming people on
0: it's funny how the culture especially in the Bay, there's such a revulsion to that culture up here, I think. Mm-hmm. And it, cause I too, I was an actor in high school as well. Oh yeah. It's like, it's still something I want to do more of in my life. Cause I love, it's so fun to like play characters. Yeah. Uh, but I found like throughout my childhood, like there was almost this like deep cultural stigma in the Bay towards like trying to pursue, uh, you know that as a career, or show business, like uh-huh. act Hollywood, like, and I think right, like you know, there's a lot of truth behind, yeah, the critique, yeah, but it, I think it sometimes can be a little out of balance to where it's like, how dare you dream to do anything in this space, or <laughs> I don't know if you experience any of that, but like in my like adult life now, I'm finding like that I actually that's actually something I really enjoy, yeah. Know, is, deeply is like getting to to play characters and do yeah you know dramatic you know expressions and stuff like that
1: no totally i mean i love it too and and um i mean i've also found like a good outlet to like combine music with the theater or just it's just kind of just being me Mm -hmm. and but being on stage is like being able to express something that is all of the things for me yeah um and songwriting it's being an artist just being an artist in general Mm -hmm. was there and i think it was kind of limiting like acting was limiting okay especially this school because it was like they're training you to be an actor you're not you're not going to be a a performance artist or you know you're going to go and you're going to go on auditions and then like thinking about going on auditions like all the time and and not having like that that being the path for me it just wasn't the path you know I'm not supposed to do that. Like yeah. I need to be doing music and mm-hmm. I I feel much more alive in in the reality that I'm in at this point. Like Were you still being playing at create, that time? I was I would I would uh I would play a little bit. Um yeah, I was definitely playing music and I would like steal away and go and you know write songs in the like music mm-hmm. department place and go like find a practice room and like, mm-hmm. you know. Your dirty little secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a you know it was a, it was an interesting time. I feel like more Especially being in a different um, – like moving to New Jersey and going to school. Like I, I had a lot more solitude in that time because I grew up here. I'm around like friends from high school. I, I know so many people at this point here. I've been here forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like any day there could be something going on. And I feel like then I was like – I had a lot more solitude and quiet time time to myself when I was working um, – which is cool. I and mean, I think you need that as an artist when you're developing, especially as a younger artist. For sure. For sure.
0: that's. Was there like a singular event or some moment that caused you to leave? Or was it just like a kind of well, a Well, so they, they,
3: they
1: asked me to take a year off because they were like noticing that, I mean, like I would show up late to a lot of the, um, the morning classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think just in general, I was just kind of like, it was so demanding that it was just very, I was getting into a weird headspace about all of it. Um, And so they were like, take a year off and see how you feel. And then during that year off, I started like writing more songs. I started doing other things, hanging out with uh, people were kind of more on my wavelength, like with music and and poetry. I I met some dear friends that are like really close with and, it was still just, in like, Jersey, or did you No, back? no, I came back here in Berkeley. Okay. And I started going to the community college, and I met like these two brothers that were like Ecuadorian brothers, Kike uh, and Felipe. And we would go to their house and just uh, drink and read poetry and play <laughs> songs. And I started getting really into like Bob Dylan, and it was like I was studying songwriting. I was like mm. <laughs> coming into this bohemian, like right. new bohemian, uh, you know, renaissance. And I was studying songwriting, like Johnny, um, uh, yeah, a little Johnny Cash, but no, um, uh, Bob Dylan and uh, Leonard Cohen were like the two ones that I would like started to get into because I was doing poetry, and I I still do love poetry, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so I just started doing that, and then eventually started getting a band together. Started out with some people that weren't great. I was playing with Lewis for a while. Lewis was in the band. Lewis is my brother. Okay. He plays cello. And uh and we started a project and then it just became Whiskerman. I think the name Whiskerman, I wrote a song called Whiskerman, and then I was like, let's just name the band Whiskerman. Um it was kinda high probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> it's totally. like like uh but it was just about like uh a sort of Messiah figure, you know, coming back at the end of the world mm-hmm. and bringing fun and light and healing. And, and so, I, I just kind of felt like it was a sort of crunchy, crunchy band name that yeah. kind of made sense, but it was also kind of mystical and weird and strange. And
0: I mean, as, as an observer of, and, you know, I've seen your band, you know, a few times, to- quite a few times now, like, and now hearing you tell this story, like it makes so much sense. Like you, I see you coming back with having done this intensive yeah time in a performing arts situation you come yeah. back and to me like whisker man's like your alter ego you know yeah, it's kind of yeah. like the character you assume on stage uh-huh who's still fully graham but it, like you've almost built this container yeah to allow yourself to you know to to play this cool yeah creative role of this character that's like you're like spiritually connected to and
1: yeah i think it's also like developed more into that role over the years um and it still evolves i mean it's always it's always evolving that the character that whiskerman is and and it's like the band starts to take on that persona too and it like because it started off like more like kind of rootsy folk kind of um sort of sort of like atmospheric somewhat you Mm -hmm. know if you listen to the first record there's some like some of those elements but then it kind of took on more of like a rock and roll persona and now it's like full kind of psychedelic rock and roll and then now we're kind of coming back around and doing just like our next album is like americana
2: mm.
1: with still all the elements of everything mm-hmm. it's like kind of we, we have this new album that could could actually honestly be our last just because of the way that things have been going and and uh i'm like interested in so many different things mm-hmm. musically that it's like that it, it's okay to sort yeah. of you know, the, the,
0: the forces that pull things yeah. in different directions.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an all encompassing album that has, it's like Americana and, you know, has some of the like rock and roll, like kind of heavy rock and roll, driving rock and roll stuff and, um, you know, some folk elements.
0: Did you have that feeling when you were recording it, when you've been working on it, does it feel like it's? Like the end of an era or the end of a it project. It felt
1: like when we when we recorded it, we recorded it February of 2020. So it was like you know the month before everything changed. Right. Um, it felt like. It felt like a. Honestly, it did. I, I didn't go into it thinking like this is going to be the end. I felt like I was like, let's do this thing that encompasses everything that we do and it's it felt like that's what the songs were that were being brought to the table there was a lot of old songs that I brought to the table um and uh it just felt like okay yeah this is like a nice like career moment statement of like this is what we do mm-hmm. you know and what we've done where we've come from and where we're going but then i think you know once the uh once the pandemic hit i mean we put out a record on march 6th and the pandemic hit and it was just like Oh, well, we can't even do any of the things <laughs> that right. we were just about to do. Like we were about to be on all these festivals, mm-hmm. do a bunch of touring of the record and like,
0: that was kingdom illusion.
1: Yeah. Kingdom illusion. And it was just like, you know, we spent a lot of time on that record. We spent years on it and sat on it for like a year or two. Wow. Cause we were trying to like, see if we could push it and get people interested in it. And it yeah. was just like, you know, just nothing happened. And, uh, I think you can just kind of – it kind of just feels like you can only go so far without like anything happening for the music and keep doing that for so long until you're like – it's kind of like – it's hard. Yeah, It's hard on the morale.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean the hope, right, is that it becomes a perpetual motion machine, right, where you push and you push. You're kind of like pushing the cart up the hill. Yeah. And you need to be able to coast a little bit at some point yeah. where you're feeling like whoever it is, people, society, your community is like starts pulling you along as well.
1: Yeah, instead it's kind of like the myth <laughs> of Sisyphus where the right. guy, you know, you're just going up the the hill with the boulder and then like the pandemic hit and it's just like the whole thing fucking went all the way down the hill. Right. And like cuz we were we were like we had a lot of momentum, we mm-hmm. had a lot of like I was also, you know, it's just a, it's a long, it's a long process to like get a band going yeah, and like getting into all the markets, you got to keep, keep going and hammering it like consistently. You got to keep going, going back to the places that you go to play and just keep that moving. And it was, and I think like not having an entire year of doing that and, and, oh, I guess now it's two years basically. I mean, we did a little touring at the end of this year. Mm Mm-hmm right before omicron hit which is now it's like i don't
0: even know what to say yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah for sure i'm right there with you brother <laughs>
1: uh it's hard man it's hard for any band and like sure. a band that's just like we were just it felt like we were just starting to kind of get more momentum and mm-hmm. it's was, it was rough and so like uh you know we're losing our drummer is moving away to dan schwartz is moving away to
0: new york i talked to i was talking to him about it at matt's birthday and just trying to connect and hear what he was saying. And, you know, that's a big, that's a big shift, huh?
1: Yeah. It's a big shift. It's a loss. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's not even just, just about losing a a drummer. It's like losing a a brother like in this, in the scene totally for everybody. Really. It's like, he's, uh, he's been so great for everybody and
0: he's got such a, like, like a Bonham esque style too. You know, it's like how many drummers can do that? Like tasteful rock thing without like, he, he doesn't play too much. You know, yeah. like he, I feel like every time I've seen him, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's what belongs there. You know, like that yeah. fill or that pocket, you know, I, I've, I've always been super impressed with how he can, uh, he can cover the genres and like really, you know, not, yeah, not really... stick out, but like, hold everything together
1: yeah he really he he's amazing like um he's kind of like the perfect drummer for the band in so many ways because he can he's got the chops to to you know do all of the to do all of it he's got the chops for all of it and he brings his own style to it and he's kind of like he's kind of (laughs) wild
0: he's he's a (laughs) wild man he's a wild man
1: and like he'll fucking take it to the edge and like kind of fuck things up which is cool you know and it's good for the for the music Mm because it gives that intensity and like gives uh makes it wild yeah you know and yeah it's hard to find people like that um i mean i don't even know really anybody Mm -hmm. who's like him really around the bay right now at least right because you got a lot of drummers who are like you know funk jazz um vibe and Mm -hmm. that's that's cool too but it's like you need to have like the rock chops. Yeah. But you can't have too much of just the rock chops. It needs to be like a full on spectrum of.
2: Drumming.
1: Yeah. And that's why Dan was so perfect. Right. <laughs> yeah. He well, is perfect.
0: I feel like. it. Yeah. Like a band is like in a lot of ways as good as its drummer. You know, like other instruments, you know, can have some slack. But like if you go and hear a band and the drummer yeah. isn't right, like I know. they just the band just sounds like shit. Yeah. You're not like, oh the drummer sucks. It's like this band <laughs> sucks or whatever. Yeah. Like that's kinda how I've experienced it, having been on both sides of the stage with it, you know? Yeah. Where it's like if if your drummer isn't tight, the best you can be is like okay. Yeah. or good, you know? It's true. But
1: Well also, you know, the other thing about being in a band, mm-hmm. I mean, and this is like the honey drops, like they are playing together all the time. Right. And just like they're they're like a big family and they're doing it all the time and like the thing with with us is like we just haven't been doing it enough and mm-hmm. so it, like it affects the uh it affects the overall sort of momentum and sound as well as the sound you know because when you're when you're really like in in it with people all the time and you're like meeting every week and doing something you really start to get some momentum and like yeah you get the energy going
0: um it's hard when when that arc I feel like there's this like arc with bands where in the beginning like you're super excited to meet and create you get together. Yeah. We're going to, you know, we got rehearsal. We're going to go like write new music and you know, like it's like kind of this really yummy creative zone. And I think a lot of bands and I, you know, I think you guys definitely push past this, but like you can get into this dynamic where you're like only rehearsing for the show. You're playing the same set list. It's like, you aren't, you people stop prioritizing like the band yeah. time. You yeah. Know? Like, well, I can do Tuesday, Thursday. And then the other guy's like, well, I can only do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then like,
0: <laughs> okay, can we all agree on Saturday? Oh no, Saturday I got to drive out to the beach or, you know? are yeah. like, well, do we want to play music? Come on guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you get into that. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's always one guy who wants to like, really is like, well, I want to fucking do it. Yeah. Like, right. And those, you know, totally. I know it's tough.
0: It's hard not to, not to, you know, especially when there are people that are putting more of the organizational effort into it. Yeah. It's hard not to like take it personally when you see that dynamics, like not necessarily reflected from, from everybody or, you know, it's not like pointing fingers. It's, it's it's like being in a band is like dating five people at the same time. Right. Totally. Yeah. Making love in public, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So,
1: and I guess for me, it's just, yeah. I mean, it got to, I was in that headspace like at the end of uh, because we were just about to go on tour and, you know, people were out of town and it's just like, so are we going to we have a big show coming up and then we have people are out of town. Mm -hmm. And then the funny thing about it is like our bass player will got COVID like right before we were going to play at the independent. Oh, shit. So we had to get a sub anyway. So it's like. And so, you know, people can jump in like that. Ben Barry, I got, we got Ben Barry, who's, uh, you know, the, uh, bass player of Mario Riley and the old solar, soul orchestra. Oh, nice. And he killed it, you know? Um, so there's people out there that are just killers, you know, yeah. They can just slay it and, and it'll still be, still be good. It's like,
0: yeah, but you, there's like that process of, you kind of got to let go of what, uh, you know, it's like this balance, right? Cause on one hand, the only reason that you have this cool thing, right. Is that you've willed this into existence through your vision. Yeah. Right. Like Graham in his mind, you have like the, what whisker man is in your head. Right. And that's, there's a lot of truth there. Yeah. Like that's served you well, fighting that vision or following that vision. Right. And, and then there's the world, right. And then forces can come in and, and tease it out and pull and, I think part of being like this kind of front man leader type Mm -hmm. is being able to have enough of the focus of like believing in your vision and still being able to like flex a little bit and allow for this, you know, this bottled lightning that you have to like be directed in new directions as needed, right? Right, right, Because nobody wants to be the tyrant, but you need a little bit of tyrant. Totally. Yes. I know. I know. Exactly.
1: I mean, it can get it, you know, and that's what I've noticed too, because it can get you into a, a, a. If you zero in on something being a certain way and just like this is how it's going to be, you turn into a you turn into an asshole. Totally. And like, I've gotten to that space so many times, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, in like a band dynamic, it's oh, it's yeah. hard not to really. Sure. You're like, no, like we need to be getting here at this yeah. time, and you know, yeah, yeah. but now I'm I'm sort of yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, the pandemic too for mm-hmm. for people, it's like we're all getting used to just things not going the way that we want them to go. Yep. Um, And uh, it's, that's okay. You know, it's okay. You just kind of pivot. And Mm -hmm. that's what I did during the pandemic. I, I pivoted to doing more production work and recording more. And um, it looks like somebody, I know it's not though (laughs) (laughs) Uh, recording more. And, and, you know, I, I invested into a bunch of recording gear and shit and started producing people and, Tight. I found a lot of joy in that too. Mm. Like it's almost like uh, it's using a different part of my creative brain. Yeah. And uh,
0: you're getting to be like, it's almost like you were like a this hotshot NBA player. And now you're getting to be a coach of a successful team. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's the, the, the Patzner method has been established because you've done all this work. Right. Like in your community of being known as, like yeah like like a creative who makes good shit yeah people you know will trust your vision right when you make a call in the studio you know i think if you're untested and this is kind of where my brother is right now like all of us all of his friends are like dude you got to put your album out man like you know and he is in his own slow way yeah yeah totally he's dealing with all the emotions of a first release for sure yeah and but the idea is like, man, like you're an unknown quantity until you have some published work, no matter what you're doing. Right. Right. But one, I have this feeling, like once he gets his music out, he, cause he wants to produce, I'm like, well, you got to have something out there that people can listen to and be like, Oh, that, like, I want some yeah. of that magic to help influence my project. I totally know he can do it a hundred percent because he has, you know, like yourself, he's one of these creatives that has developed their craft to where they can trust in their own ideas and the merit of their own ideas. But I think it does take, you know, figuring out a way to, to, to share with your community. Yeah. So that people, you know, because musicians are like the worst self promoters, right? Like it's hard to, it's not always easy to communicate in words with people. Like, what do I do or what am I what's my definition as an artist?
1: You know, that's the thing. I think it's it's a it's an issue up here cuz like a lot nobody does that. But yeah. if you go down to LA, <laughs> right. everybody's got a pitch. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Everybody in LA's LA got a pitch. Yeah. It's you you're just me like I've had that with like so many different people to like they say their entire philosophy of what they think music is mm-hmm. and how they do it. It's like they've written it all out. Right. I don't understand. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, that's a good point. Does but it part- do you find it matches what their music actually sounds like?
1: Um, I mean, I find I find it to be pretentious. Yeah. Like <laughs> not like it's like I don't know if I want to work with this right, guy because right. they they gotta have a pitch. But you can find some people that are super cool down yeah, in L.A. That totally. are not, not going to be like that. But uh, we
0: like to knock on them. But but yeah, probably. yeah.
1: I mean, the cool thing about L.A. is that everybody's doing art and everybody's in the industry or everybody's trying to make it happen. And, uh, you know, the downside of that is that people are, are just trying to do that. So they're just going to burn through you. If, if you know,
0: they'll, I do they'll love, use you and the, you know, yeah, but I do love a, the idea of a city where, where like aiming for the clouds is, is accepted and celebrated. Yeah. You know? And that of course comes with like all this disgusting fluff. Right. Yeah, but like it's also there's it's so cool. That's one of the things I love going down there. Yeah, is you do talk about your ideas and everyone's like, yeah, duh, like totally. try, like try yeah. for it. Yeah, like, totally. I, like yeah, we're all trying to do. Everybody's something cool. doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think up here, I and this is kind of what I was referencing earlier, but like there is like this almost like how dare you try vibe. <laughs> I don't know if you ever encountered that, but it's like, oh, you're trying. You're trying too hard, you know, or like, oh, you're like, there is almost like this resistance towards, uh, being like a known public artist or gaining, you know, maybe not fame, but like notoriety or some form of like that, that somehow is not to be trusted. The desire to be known for your creative output.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things in music too, with people who are like, oh, it's, that's, they just, uh, they get into that space where they're like, oh, that's not cool. Like the cool thing is to be like, like you don't care about any of that.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. If you uh, want to be the real deal. <laughs>
1: yeah. The real deal is the guy who's not making any money. who's like playing oh, yeah. for like nobody. And totally. Exactly. It's like
0: what? Like, no, the real deal. Yeah. Can't get his shit together. And is still at the dive bar and yeah, you know, dealing with a couple addictions and a,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, come on yeah it's i i uh
0: that's real deal yeah i mean there's a
1: lot of things that are problems with the bay the bay scene one of them also being just like everybody's in tech it's like no uh-huh. the focus is not on music that's the focus true. is and then when we're doing like it's just ridiculous sometimes I mean, some of the best gigs that we do the best paying gigs are at like i did this one gig at airbnb and it was like <laughs> You go into like the Airbnb office, like building, and there was like a huge auditorium. And we're like, wow, this is sick. And they're like, okay, but you're in the cafeteria in the corner for after we do the keynote speakers, you know, doing PowerPoint presentations. And it's like, now the music is going to be in the side, like an afterthought, like as as quiet as possible. (laughs) This is
0: not for you. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But I'm getting paid like everybody in the band is getting like $1,000. Right. So it's like, and like, when do you have a gig like that, that it's at a cool place in the Bay, you know, like we're at a cool place. Mm -hmm. No, it's like, there's not enough money there. Exactly. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you know, you, you're a product of this Bay. Like I am, you can remember when the Bay area was like a gritty artist hive. You know, I was talking about that yesterday, just about San Francisco and what, what happened to it over the last decade and. Oh, yeah. so I just remember growing up and it was such a cool city. Yeah. It was like so like alive. It was so rife with culture and, 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 and there were so many cool people.
3: Yeah.
0: And I, and you know, I, I remember I, I lived in the city for three years, kind of right at the turn, you know, 2009 through 2012 when it was like just starting to change. And now I go out there and I just get mad. I just like hate. I like actively hate people, and I'll be driving around. I'm like, I hate that guy. I don't know you, but I hate you. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and then I get back over to this side of the bridge, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I can relax. Like, yeah, the
1: East Bay has definitely got the vibe these days. I'm actually excited about the East Bay now. Yeah, like there's something happening. I think that is it's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. I think there's uh, there's some, some, a a good scene of music emerging emerging in the East Bay. I don't know. San Francisco, no. Yeah. There's some people that are like eternal that are going to be in San Francisco, like Joe Lewis on the bass, you know, the bass player, Joe, Joe Lewis. He's like a San Francisco staple. Dude. Okay. He's been, he's been around forever. Yeah. But um, there's certain people that are going to still like. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the diehards. down, the diehards. Sure. But it's, yeah, it's, it's rough. It's kind of rough out there. Um, the East Bay's got the scene happening. I think there's a lot of good music emerging here.
0: What do you think we need out here to to evolve this? Like what's what's missing?
1: I was talking about this with Kevin Najika
0: yeah.
1: uh, the other night that I think we need to do more more recorded music. Okay. Because like, you know, in LA, you got all the like jazz cats or in New York, I mean, all a lot of these people have records and they mm-hmm. they record and they, they're playing with each other and you just kind of start a scene. And I think there needs to be like a good label that comes out of here mm. that has a lot of money. and and that puts out like really interesting stuff and it doesn't have to be like it can be there can have some interesting like experimental stuff Mm -hmm. and there can also be some like more straightforward like uh stuff that maybe you'll sell we need we almost need
0: like a crypto billionaire patron you know
3: they're here
1: that's the thing you know right we need to just harness these people and do something really cool because like Uh, I just I think that that's kind of needed and I think I think like if people because if you have these people in jams that get together Mm -hmm. and if these people are able to like do this more uh, and maybe get some money from a label or something and are able to like make some albums and make some content and and be supported Mm -hmm. then it'll help support the whole scene you know
0: yeah like a I'm picturing this heroic figure, you know, who's doesn't need to really worry about the financial aspect of it, but it wants the the clout of like being the head of this musical entity, yeah. right, where dude and if you're listening crypto billionaires out there <laughs> there's an open position you'll get to be the the man yeah you know
1: yeah exactly and, somebody's got to reach out to me and uh, yeah and after this and be like i want to be the one yeah you I get to hang out
0: with one. all the artists you'll be honored you'll be part of the scene that will be your legacy for history yeah. as 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 being like kind of the godfather of this new oakland era that all the artists are so hungry for like cuz i do think that there is so much untapped potential out here for...
1: Yeah. So that's, there's know. so much potential, right? And like all... It can be... We can we can lift each other up. It's just like... It's just a matter of, of time and somebody just being like, I want to put the money forward to make it happen. Yeah. Because there's so many...
0: It's not even that much money either. It really doesn't have to
1: be that much money. It doesn't. But it can... It, it would help. I mean, it would be really cool. To, yeah
0: could be a self-perpetuating type of thing too where you know it's really a more even than it's more of like a startup cost because i do think that there is enough talent and quality of aesthetic out here to where like the oakland sound is something that people would be attracted to right you know in on, on a national or international level you know totally
1: totally yeah um, yeah and there's there's i mean it's just like you know, your brother starting his own little studio. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people doing that. And it's like recording costs don't need to be astronomical. No. Unless you want to get people into like, and there's a lot of studios around here, mm-hmm. like really professional studios that are amazing. And they're not even that expensive. When you think about it, like what they're offering. It's like, it's great. You yeah. Know? So I don't know. Um, have you ever been to um, Bird and Egg Studios in, in Richmond? No you should you should go there sometime it's great nina michella
0: mm.
1: he's amazing you'd, you'd love the vibe in there he's got a great b3 in there oh, yeah. like nice piano big live room nice yeah it's super, it's super dope
0: that's that's what's up yeah and and i think like um you know that's kind of what i'm trying to do with this with this show and with like a lot of A lot of like the, like my brand that I'm trying to build here, you know, that's keeping me in Oakland now. It's like, I want to be one of the, I want to be a part of that, uh, you know, like an element of that, what you just described Yeah. as far as like, I want people to be able to discover artists. Like I'm trying to build this platform up so that I can have artists on so that people can discover them. Right. And like, there's like this curation aspect of it, you know, because I know that like in my, as I continue to develop my business, like one of the roles, one of the goals of the role I'm trying to do is to be able to be that bridge between the money and the artists where like, you know, like for my videography, like I don't really ever want to use a sound bank for music. I want to have it written yeah. into my budget that I'm going to hire one of my amazing musician friends and pay them their rate. Right. And that's written into the budget so that the video, right. so that my videos are known to have right. like good music. Cause that's everything in yeah. film. As you know, like music is like the emotional story of the film. Yeah. You know? So like, I don't want to go hire some, you know, buy some sound bank soulless corporate music track to put on one of my I'm, yeah I and mean, if mean, I'm doing it yeah, for a business just you like
1: know? and then, the other thing you know it's like it's it it really kind of bums me out when you see all these trailers and they're like they they just use really popular songs in the trailers for movies and and in the movies they're just so it's like you're just giving more money to these uh, artists that basically don't need the money or are fucking dead mm-hmm. and like that putting. Putting like say a Whiskerman song in a movie trailer, like for a big budget movie, or in like a TV show, mm-hmm. it's like that would change our career, right? It changes like bands' careers, and like people are still, you know, just choosing like uh, like a David Bowie song, right? <laughs> Life on Mars or something, yeah. you know. I'm
0: sure there's a political element to it as well, you know, like like in but I use that word like meaning like the just the politics of Hollywood, like yeah. You know, cause, cause it is, there are, there are also those examples of like, oh, it's my nephew's band, you know, they're an LA oh, band yeah, and, and they're totally going to get happens, that song yeah. in or, but I, you know, well, that's a lot
1: of what happens in that, in LA, too, well, I guess for it, in regards to like them putting a really popular song on there, it's just so that people recognize it. Mm-hmm. And so that they have something to latch on to, Totally, you know,
0: familiarity,
1: but, um,
0: that's one thing I think like the Adams brothers are, are kind of doing though, you know, like that's what I see. Jesse and Gabe, you know, Jesse's moving down to LA and Oh really? Yeah, that he's like they're gonna be like a block away from each other. And I think that they're you know, they're both looking to continue to make films and continue to make visual art. Um and to put their friends' music in it, you know, like yeah, that's cool, yeah. You know, that did you see their movie? Did you see Up the Five?
1: No, I haven't seen it. <laughs>
0: It's pretty cool. It's like a, it's a cool, uh, like they did it. It's, it's a beautiful looking film. And it, it
1: is it on a uh, prime or something? It's on Pri- Amazon
0: prime. Yeah. Up the five, up the five. And they have Marty O'Reilly featured on it, um, nice. as well as like a few other Bay area bands. Um, and I think that like, that's part of like, you know, I see Jesse focusing a lot of his energy on, on Jale. Mm-hmm. Like promoting, you know, his fiance's music and her art. That's cool. And I see like they're kind of, this is like all Hobart conjecture. This isn't necessarily right. what's what's been told to me, but.
1: Is that band that they're, uh, Royal Jelly Jive, are they still a band or are they done? Or
0: I think they're in like a similar, maybe similar position that you just described where they're like, maybe are having in the middle of some roster changes or trying to like figure yeah. out what those forces are going to do. To, yeah. to, to, the future. And I know that they're still like, I think they are still playing gigs, but I think one of the things Jesse has communicated to me is that like, he's really inspired by, by Lauren's music and, and trying to like, uh, you know, promote her further as like a solo artist as well. I don't know if that, what, what that means for Royal jelly, but I know that like That's cool. her style you know, the type of music like the her way of singing to me seems like it would be very commercially successful. And like I could see like like a Hollywood filmmaker hearing that. Yeah. And like and then Jesse's aesthetic totally lends itself to film. I mean, he understands yeah. film.
1: Yeah. Royal Jelly Jive is somewhat limiting in, in like where it can go because it's kind of like party sort of old old time ish kind of like, mm-hmm. you know. It's like yeah. New Orleans-y kind of vibe yeah. but her voice is like it could probably go anywhere right yeah
0: she's got she's definitely got more i think she embraces the pop element a little bit more um and kind of has that timbre to her voice or totally. that style of singing that is you know that that i could hear in that context
1: i remember seeing her it was like one of the first times that she was playing in in uh, amnesia okay and it was years ago, and I was like, "This is my favorite singer in the Bay right Hell now." Yeah. Like, uh, she's a fucking amazing singer. Mm-hmm. She's got such a cool, set, cool style.
0: Totally. I remember seeing her. Maybe it was with you. It was at a, like my first Bodega Day, and she did like this just ripping set on the deck. Uh huh. And I was like, "Who is this girl? She's got like so much fire, you know." She was doing did some minor blues song or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just like shredding it. Um. Yeah. But but I'm I'm so inspired I'm inspired by those guys like like the Adams Bros it's so cool to see time Yeah on. So cool to see uh I actually kind of got to wrap up Yeah we should probably wrap it up um, pretty soon But yeah just it's cool to see like these guys that really like you know like knowing their parents and who their parents are and how supportive their parents are like Jesse and Gabe, like really, I think so many of us artists at certain points in our life have kind of been hurt. Like I know I have and like had to push through, like not feeling like I'm good enough or not feeling like my creativity is valid or, you know, like it's like can sometimes can limit how honest I can be. Mm hmm and like getting back to that place of honesty is like where the work is. totally. And I see like Jesse and Gabe just not even having that like scar to mm. push through. Like, well, like you see Jesse go on stage and he's just, I'm fucking Jesse Adams. I'm going to take my keyboard off the stand and you mm-hmm. know, I'm going to just be myself and be this goofy, you know, totally. uh, fantastical to call character. And I love that. It's so beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and Gabe is the same way. I mean, he's made a fucking movie. How many people can say that? Yeah. But, That's uh, awesome. but yeah, dude, I think, uh, I feel like this is like the first half of a conversation. I know it feels you know? that way. We should do another one. We should definitely do another one. And, and I'm really glad that you came on. I've, I've been wanting to get you on, I think for like yeah. a year now. And just, uh, I'm excited about the next chapters for, yeah. for Graham and for whisker man. And yeah, me too. dude, let's grow Thanks, this. Man. Let's keep, yeah, let's, let's make keep, this project happen. It happen. Yeah, let's let's make Yeah,
1: we could do a, we can meet up again uh, anytime yeah. and do do another half of this. Hell yeah, yeah, it's great brother. talking
0: to you, brother. For sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh we are probably here for like 2 hours, huh? Almost yeah.
0: 5. Yeah, something like that, probably like Yeah, my my computer's awesome. giving me the beach ball. But yeah, dude, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. Uh to be continued and uh can you really quick just at the end, can you just tell people how to they can like find your music and your art
1: uh you can find uh whiskerman at uh whiskerman.com or instagram whiskerman or um graham patzner g-r-a-h-a-m-p-a-t-z-n-e-r you can find me on the i have an album on uh all of the platforms that you can hear and um and Bandcamp has some other like exclusive content oh yeah um is there any
0: any shows or anything you want to promote this will probably be uh, out like when is this?
1: When is this going to come probably out? Probably
0: release it next week.
1: Okay. Yeah. If it's the yeah, if, uh, I'm going to be. We're going to. Whiskerman's doing three nights in Reno at the Peppermill Casino.
0: Tight. Hell yeah. So
1: uh, come on out to that.
0: What and, are those dates?
1: Uh, February 3rd to
3: to fifth.
0: Okay. Hell yeah!
1: That's right gonna on, be
0: super man. Fun. That yeah, that sounds tight. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, All right, until brother. the next one, bro. Absolutely. Alright, there you have it. Um, thank you so much to Graham for coming on. Uh, it was really good talking to you, buddy. And we definitely need to do round two in the near future. So, all y'all folks out there, be on the lookout. Uh, we're going to have him back on because we didn't even get into a whole lot of topics that uh, we need to get into. Um, yeah hope you guys are all good and you have a great week and uh i now present to you the audio listeners exclusive uh villains by king dream off of their most recent album kingdom illusion enjoy my friends <laughs>
2: Shut Click